0: This morning, um, we're continuing in a series looking at Matthew chapters eight and nine called Saving Power. The common thread throughout the Gospel of Matthew has been and continues to be the kingdom of heaven, that place where God himself is king and where God's will and his way are perfectly done. Uh, that's why we uh, the lord instructed us in the lord's prayer during the sermon on the mount to pray uh, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that we would begin to see places and uh, instances where we get to taste god's will and god's way here on this earth Um, and so through this uh biography uh, written by the Apostle Matthew we are constantly being led to an understanding that Jesus was not just a great teacher but that he was truly the promised Savior King of the Old Testament sent by God to set all things to right now for many in the Jewish community even today they look for this king to be someone who is a kind of military type figure, who would reestablish Israel among the nations. From this view, salvation becomes nothing more than just a socio-political restoration of God's people. But for Matthew and the writers of the New Testament, the savior comes as a humble carpenter whose life led him to a cross where his saving action was to die as a substitute for all humanity, past, present, and future to pay the price of our sin. The New Testament's claim is that Jesus is that savior and that our rescue and restoration is aimed squarely at remedying the human condition and all its effects on the world. Through his death, he paid for our sins and through his resurrection from the grave, he gave us new life. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later. And so Romans 8, reminds us that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us through faith and that that same Holy Spirit who was also at work, you know, in the resurrection was at work in the life and ministry of Jesus to heal sickness and deliver the oppressed so it's here in matthew chapter nine today that we see you know story after story of his saving power of the kingdom of heaven on display through the life of jesus so for the leper in chapter eight uh the centurion the people of capernaum the disciples and the demoniacs jesus saving power tells us two important truths about who he is number one is that He is truly the son of God, which gives him equal, co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is truly God. And he is also, he is the son of man, son of God and son of man, which means that he identifies who he is with the people he came to save. Jesus is also truly man. This is an amazing claim, one that I believe is true and so foundational to my belief as a, as a Christian. So through the Saving Power series, we are invited to explore with fresh eyes who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he can still do in our lives today. So the title for today's message is Restoration. Our main passage is going to be Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together this morning is that restoration reveals Jesus' authority and compassion to powerfully save. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. You can either read it in your Bible or I have it up here on the screen as well. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he, meaning Jesus, he crossed over and came to his own city. That's the city of Capernaum, by the way. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven.'" And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Amen? In November of 2020, I bought a 1990s Jeep Grand Cherokee. That that beautiful rig right there. My great red chariot It was so good. I love my Jeep. I don't have my Jeep anymore. We'll talk about that. It was beautiful burgundy. It had a great engine. I was told it was like for this particular year, they had used the inline six engine, which supposedly is amazing. I don't know that much about cars, I know enough to get by, but anyway, fantastic engine, decent, had a lot of miles on it, but it was good, and just, you know, it just needed a healthy dose of TLC. Uh, So as someone who loves to restore things, myself, uh, and I also needed a hobby at the time, I thought this is perfect, I get a Jeep and I get a hobby, and it only cost me $950 to buy as is. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, compared to the price, though, uh, of other Jeeps in similar condition on Craigslist, I thought, wow, I'm getting the steal of a deal. But then, progressively over the next month or so, things just kept coming up wrong with this car. So I knew when I bought it, the heater didn't work, so I, I fixed that check off the list. A couple weeks went by and we were in the cold of December and I had to replace the starter because uh, I went out after it had ran perfect all day, tried to start it to no avail, it didn't happen. But so I replaced the starter, check off the list. Then the battery needed changing. I don't know why it did, but it did. And so I did that and you know, check off the list. But then I got the Rona. I got the virus, and I had to fully quarantine for a couple of weeks, because that's how you did things back then, uh, and I didn't go out to start my vehicle because it was across the way from our cul-de-sac, and so I didn't start my Jeep, and after I recovered, I went out to start it so I could go into the church for work, but it was completely dead. No, no sound even, I just turn it, and it just, nothing So I got a jump and, or no, I think we towed it to the car shop, my friend Scott's auto shop, to see what the issue was. And I thought I was bringing it in for one specific issue, which I thought was the battery. And so they changed out the terminals. They they got it all charged up. And everything was good to go, check, off the list. But then a couple of days went by, and the same thing happened again. What is up with this Jeep? So I took it back to the shop and it turned out that there was some leak somewhere in the cab. Uh, There was one for sure right by the fuse box and then there was some somewhere else in the cab where water was uh, uh, seeping its way down in the dead of winter. Um, But without taking it to a body shop, we weren't able to fully diagnose exactly where that leak was coming from. And it was at this point, after all these endeavors, that I gave up on my Jeep. And so that was a picture. I can't remember why we took that picture. To sell it? To sell it. Yeah, it didn't sell. No. <laughs> it it had it had a lot of issues. So all these repairs they were adding up each month for me, and uh, they eventually started amounting to a car payment (laughs) and so i thought let's get a a good reliable toyota corolla and that's what i have now thus ending the saga of my 1990s jeep grand cherokee my great red chariot now here's the point here's why i launched into all of that after reading so when an issue came up it completely sidelined my jeep i took it to the mechanic thinking we were gonna just go for one particular issue. Surface level, it made sense how, how it was gonna work out. But something deeper was actually going on with my rig. There was a, an issue so insidious that even my mechanic couldn't figure it out. It was uh, both internal, it was causing internal and external issues. It was bad and so eventually it just, it got taken out. Now, for the man who was brought to Jesus in Capernaum, something deeper was going on. He had gotten so sick to the point of paralysis, and his friends brought him on a stretcher to the feet of Jesus. Bringing us to the first observation that we have for this morning, which is up here on the screen. When Jesus sees our faith, his love speaks our pardon. So the scene begins, Jesus sees the friend's faith. And then he looks to the man and says, take heart son, or my son, your sins are forgiven. And that word for take heart in the Greek is the verb tharseo, which literally means to be of good cheer. Tharseo is only used seven times in the New Testament. In Matthew it happens three times, and Mark Two times, Gospel of John has it once, and the final one happens in the book of Acts. And every time, Tharseo is used. It's an action call that's spoken from the Lord to His people, uh, who exhibits some measure of faith. So, for in this instance, the, the paralyzed man. Uh, later on, there's going to be the woman with the issue of blood, the disciples, the blind man, and even the apostle Paul. And each time there seems to be some level of uncertainty attached with the situation where it would be easy for that person who would normally have faith to be afraid or cautious. And it's there in those times that the Lord says, Courage, take heart, be bold. And Tharseo seems to be both a call for boldness, as well as an invitation to further trust Jesus in that unknown place. Revealing Jesus' love for the man and the care that was shown for his well-being. Now, the writer doesn't tell us the whole ordeal, like the other gospel accounts do, that led this man to the feet of Jesus. But whatever fear or embarrassment or any other emotion that this man had been feeling, Jesus' word to him is clear, take heart, you are seen and you are loved. Right after this encouragement, Jesus makes the startling statement, son, your sins are forgiven. So beyond the exterior problems that we see, there was a deeper need that this man had that needed to be addressed. And what sets this encounter apart from the other healings we've seen so far is that it's here, Jesus' saving power goes beyond the physical and reaches a point of spiritual healing. Now, you might say, Tim, we covered the demoniacs last week. That was pretty intense. Well, it was. And that was a form of spiritual healing in a way, but, a lo- you know, but that was more spiritual deliverance in in its purest sense than you know healing their their physical needs or that kind of thing or even healing the sin that was in their life now the physical though it affects the spiritual and the spiritual affects the physical and with discernment and compassion jesus sees and names this man's biggest need a clean and restored soul and with his saving power that's exactly what jesus gives to the man with this declaration take heart my son your sins are forgiven restoration reveals jesus authority and compassion to powerfully save the second observation we see is that when jesus speaks his love and power confront our expectations you can go to the next slide When Jesus speaks, his love and power confront our expectations. This encounter between Jesus and the paralyzed man uh, has some very clear prophetic overtones to it and how it fulfilled what the Messiah was supposed to do. You can go to the next slide. So in Isaiah 40, verse 2, it says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Micah 7, uh, verses 18 through 19 say, Where is another God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us, You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. But the authority and power to forgive sins was reserved for God and God alone, which is why the scribes were so quick to label Jesus' pardon as blasphemy. If only God could forgive sins, then how could any mere human claim that same level of authority? So the scribes, uh, you may not know this, were kind of like the lawyers of Jesus' day. They were experts in religious law. So there were the Pharisees who knew a lot as well. They were like the teachers. But then when you had an issue come up, you would go to them and you would have them kind of reveal to you, this is what the law says, here's the interpretation. So they would have been well acquainted with this law from leviticus 24 16 that says anyone who blasphemes the name of the lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of israel ouch any native-born israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the lord must be put to death but by labeling jesus as a blasphemer In this way, this shows us as readers now that they didn't really understand who Jesus was. That Jesus was actually God in the flesh and was the promised Messiah walking among them to bring healing and forgiveness. And so it's here that Jesus confronts their expectations with some questions and a demonstration of his love and power. So in verse 5, He says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But instead of letting the scribes give him an answer, he goes on to tell them in verse six, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Through this line of questioning, Jesus is inviting the scribes to a revelation and a remembrance about himself. Both center around the title that Jesus embraced full force in his ministry through this ministry as the Son of Man. You can go to the next slide. So there's this prophecy in the book of Daniel 7 through 13 through 14 that says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was... Presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Here, this is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who was given this dominion, this rule, this reign, and the glory and the kingdom that. Will not pass away. And all this was given by the Ancient of Days, which is another title for God the Father. So, by claiming the title Son of Man, Jesus was self identifying himself as that promised Savior, equal in authority and substance with God. And even though this revelation confronts their expectation, Jesus wants them to know that he has that power and authority on earth. And that word for know, it carries with it that connotation of understanding of certain truths, but it also carries with it the connotation of remembrance. To remember what God had said. To remember these truths. What Jesus was trying to communicate to these religious leaders was like Dr. J. Vernon McGee points out in his commentary that the one Who can make a man walk is the one who can forgive sins. This is who Jesus was, and this is what Jesus did. When Jesus speaks, his love and power confront our expectations and restoration. It reveals authority and compassion to powerfully save. Even when we, as as followers of Jesus, as, as people, Who who would be considered believers, spirit filled believers, even when we pray for people to be healed and they are healed? It's not us doing the work, it's God doing the work. He is the one who does the work, it's not us. And we trust Him, and we also trust Him with whatever answer He gives. That if He gives us the answer of, yes, this person will be healed in this moment in this way then we trust Him. And if He says no, then we also trust Him as well. But He is the one who does the work, not us. We're just called to partner with Him in that. Now, the third observation we can make from our passage is that when Jesus... Oh, next one. Yep. Next slide. There we go. When Jesus reveals His authority, we respond with praise. Directly following this address, you you may have noticed i stopped right in the middle of the verse. He's addressing the religious leader. He's talking to them. And then Jesus turns and speaks right to the man saying, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And in that command, there are three implications I see for this man. You can go to the next slide. The first is that the command to rise is calling this man to believe in, and walk out the miracle of his healing. The friends had brought him in faith. Jesus had already healed him spiritually by pardoning his sins. And now Jesus was calling him to believe for the impossible restoration he had actually come for in the first place. Would he rise to the occasion or not? The second implication is that, you know, to pick up your bed was a literal thing, but figuratively, this could have also meant, in a lot of ways, to take up the details of his story and bring them into his new and present reality of having been made whole and complete through that healing. The truth is, we all have a story. We all have a history in our walk through this world and where we've been lost and broken and hurting. And we have a testimony to share of how Jesus met us in our mess and brought his saving power into our world and restored us right where we were to lead us into the future that he has in store for each and every one of us. We all have a bed to carry, a proverbial bed because we all have a story of that place where we were when we first encounter Jesus the only question is will we carry those details of our history with us into the everyday parts of our lives or not now I'm not suggesting that we rehash them constantly and incessantly just letting the enemy have full reign over our thoughts to you know try to bring us down and trying to keep us um, in some kind of place of shame or or rejection what i am saying though is that we are to witness to god's saving power at work in us and that means identifying the places we have been and where god is leading us to each of us has a powerful testimony i don't know everybody's in here but i'm I'm getting to know it uh pretty pretty close and it's amazing how god has worked in your lives and the truth is, the enemy wants to, to try to bring you shame because of those different details. But those details help us know that this is where I was before I knew Jesus, and here's where he's brought me into. That's his gift to our faith. Will you pick up your bed? The third implication in the command, go home. <laughs> reveals that we all have a mission to share what god has done for us for this man it you know it maybe he had a family i don't know we don't have those details and but we know for sure he had a community and we have a community as well around us and so in our healing god has given us a legacy of god's saving presence in our lives and by going home this man was being called to partner with what he had already participated in receiving from God through faith. Where is God calling you to carry your story of restoration today? Is it, is, is it your home? Uh, is your home maybe a place? Or is it a people? Is, is it a, a, a certain environment or area? Where is God calling you to take that story just as Jesus called the paralyzed man to go the same goes for you and me the clear revelation of Jesus authority shows in this man's complete healing Jesus here heals him spiritually physically and completely you can go to the next slide in the new American commentary Craig Blomberg says this Jesus continues to appear as one with divine authority. Just as Jesus exercised Yahweh's sovereignty over wind and waves and demonstrated his superiority over Satan's minions, so now he displays the very authority of God to forgive sins. And the crowd responded in worship. They were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. The healing of the paralytic showed the character of God's heart to powerfully save, confronting our expectations and pardoning our sins. This kind of restoration reveals Jesus' authority and compassion to powerfully save inside and out. And the character of this power, as we read in our passage, is good, it's not evil. It should not be associated with evil. This power that came from God to heal this man, to forgive his sins, and to help him walk again. This power was from the Lord, not from the devil. And that was Jesus calling the scribes to a remembrance and an understanding of that. And it rightly directs our attention to our God who is rescuing and restoring us Through his love. So, as we conclude today, most of us here, I'm willing to bet because we all walk through the door, you know, we don't, we may not be ones right now who are suffering from some kind of physical paralysis. But maybe as is often the case. For us, maybe it's a spiritual paralysis where we feel bound up in chains and we need some kind of healing, we need some kind of realization of God's forgiveness of us. The truth is, Jesus was ultimately, through all of his actions, he was pointing people to the reality of the cross. That through his work on the cross, he was going to pay for sins once and for all. And that is good news. Because that means that as we are in process, as we are walking out this faith, you know, we don't know what later happened to the paralyzed man. Uh, He may have ended up following Jesus. We don't know those particular details. But what we do know is that I'm sure he still sinned in his life he still missed the mark of God's righteous standard. And the great news about Jesus' work on the cross is that his grace is sufficient for that man to forgive him his sins. And his grace is sufficient for each and every one of you and for me here this morning. And so, with that, let's take heart let's be encouraged this morning by God's presence here with us to powerfully save you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be healed. That doesn't necessarily mean a particular certain definition of what we may think it is. Like with the paralyzed man, he thought he was coming to walk and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, you're missing a certain part here. (laughs) um and so the encouragement for you though is that god is at work and god wants to to bring that saving power into your life let's pray